0: Before we start this episode, I thought I'd tell you that I've got a new book out. Yes, another one. This one is to help coaches supercharge their coaching capability through reflective journaling. Coaching Journal, a guide and journal, walks you through the process by, well, providing you with a guide and some structured reflective models. So pop over to Amazon and get this quick, practical and insightful book today to start your journey towards a more successful professional practice. What would you put in your backpack if you had a new coaching engagement but could only take a limited number of items? Each episode, The Coach's Backpack looks at the multifaceted world of coaching and asks a new guest to tell us what they would take with them and why. Hi, I'm David Lowe and this week we're taking a peek inside the backpack of John Perry, Therapeutic Coach. Welcome, John. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, first off, and this is often the biggest challenge for some, is how would you describe yourself in under 20 words?
1: Thank you. So, uh, yeah, therapeutic coach, I think, covers it pretty well in that it, it covers the fact that I started life as a teacher, then a counsellor, then a coach, and I kind of integrate those three aspects. So I work very often at the kind of intersection of coaching and counselling, but also as a teacher, um, I use quite a bit of psychoeducation as well in my work. So that,
0: I think therapeutic coach pretty much captures it. Brilliant. Two words is definitely the fewest words we've had of any description. So you've got the you've got the award. Well, look here's the challenge. You've been asked to coach a new client, but you're limited to what you can take with you. So don't worry, you've got your essentials. You've got your your clothes and your toothbrush. But in addition, you can take one book, one tool, technique, concept, method, approach, whatever you want to call it. Another item of your choice, plus a person from the past or the present to accompany you. So. What would you take with you and why? And you can go in any order you wish.
1: Thank you. So I think I'll try and address them in that order. So the book is The Marriage of Sense and Soul by Ken Wilber. And for me, it's it's been a hugely influential book. And the basic idea is there's a subtitle of Integrating Science and Religion, which probably helps explain Wilber's position. And essentially, Wilber presents this notion that we can think of reality as a tapestry of interwoven levels, from, from matter to body, to mind, to soul, to spirit, and each higher level contains the essential elements of lower levels and it adds further to it. So if we think of in terms of matter, uh, matter is uh, the fact that stuff exists, so bricks exist, my Reiki conservatory roof exists, the economy exists, housing exists, then we move up to the body, and of course our body is partly made of matter, so the body involves matter, but it also then adds to it, and here we might Think of clients that we work with that uh, might best be served by thinking in terms of their fitness, their diet, their exercise, but also thinking about notions of illness and disease. And perhaps we can locate some mental health challenges here, particularly chemical addictions, and also just acknowledge the reality, the bodily reality of neurodiversity, for example. And then we move from body up to mind, and mind, of course, also subsumes the body because it's contained within the body but where you start entering the realm of psychology and philosophy and thinking about how the mind is used. And of course, this is where a lot of traditional coaching kind of focuses, you know, thinking about whether someone's a kind of a glass half full or a glass half empty uh, kind of person, whether they uh, their mindset is one of optimism and hope or whether it's more prone to catastrophizing and assuming the worst and so on. And then we move from mind up to, up to soul and, and traditionally the kind of preserve of theology. But... In Wilbur's formulation, it's much more about if you are a person of faith, perhaps preparing yourself to meet your God. Um, what Viktor Frankl refers to as having an awareness of the taskmaster, you know, that life will set you challenges. And we are to some extent judged or measured uh, by how we respond to those challenges. And um, and thinking about the ways in which we might, for example, in the course of making ourselves acceptable to our taskmaster or more accountable, think about righting the wrongs we might have done along the way in our life. Um, some notion of atonement, perhaps getting the balance sheet more in line. In psychoanalysis, it's much more likely to be referred to as kind of purifying your ego. Just, but also um, a lot of coaches would talk about becoming more closely linked to your kind of notion of an optimised self, becoming a better person. And then the final level is going right up to the level of spirit, which is traditionally the preserve mysticism. And here the focus is on actually transcending your individual ego by recognizing that ultimately our consciousness returns to the universe where it came from. And if you like, one of the ways that I like to make sense of this is a metaphor that says, you know, if you've got water in a pipette, then the goal of Working at the soul level is purifying the water, so actually distilling it, becoming the best water it can be, the purest water it can be. But when we're working at the level of spirit, it's acknowledging that when we our life ends, we kind of that pipette of water goes back into the ocean where it came from, and it joins something much more magnificent and much more uh, significant. And it's really about connecting up to the fact that, as well as thinking about being the best person we can be we also need to recognize that we are a part of something much more much more significant than that and thinking about ways that we might actually help clients connect with that sense as well so things like I've spoken about before like all walks you know walking with a sense of awe and wonder uh, at the incredible universe that we are a part of as well as getting involved in environmental issues and so on so it's not just about working at the level of improving myself but it's recognizing my connection to something
0: much more significant wow okay That's a mind-blowing concept for for many, I'm sure, (laughs) to me. And so, I mean, how do you you drop this into sessions with clients? That's a good question,
1: because I kind of link that then to the question of what tool would I use? If I could just take one tool, and the tool would be to help clients to locate their challenges, their issues, their presenting problems at the correct level. And I think this is something which traditionally coaches are not very good at, and I don't think counsellors are, and I don't think doctors are. So if we think about the level of matter... if people have very poor living conditions they're living in poverty they're facing discrimination you know you know there's there's no point working at the level of ego and helping you know sometimes you just have to help the person problem solve and i think we need to be much more focused on that and it's one of the criticisms of coaching is that it locates problems at the, the individual level whereas sometimes they are societal they are structural you know there is prejudice there's discrimination there's poverty there's disadvantage And I think coaches actually need to acknowledge that more and to some extent become activists to recognize if you really want to impact people's lives and mental health and opportunities, you need to work much more beyond the individual level and recognize these kind of systemic challenges. Um, But also recognizing in coaching, sometimes the presenting problem is best addressed at the level of biology. And so, for example, you know, some people have organic illnesses which are going to get in the way of their lives and actually sometimes a referral you know encouraging people to seek medical assistance is the most helpful thing that the coach can do as well as thinking about diet exercise just encouraging better self-care at the, at the level of the body um, and it, if working the level of the mind where a lot of coaches work it is about encouraging that positive mindset thinking about helping people to have a philosophy that works for them rather than against them you know are they the kind of people that actually seek out opportunities and anticipate that things are, are, are probably going to be okay and that people fundamentally are worthwhile or are they the kind of people that tend to catastrophize and awful lives and assume the worst so really focusing on that level of mind at the level of soul some people if, if you're going to really help them it's really about encouraging self-forgiveness just encouraging them to actually be their own best friend to be as kind and tolerant and patient with themselves as they would be with anybody else who was struggling And if you're going to work at the level of spirit, it's much more about kind of letting go of those ego concerns and encouraging people to recognize their connection to something much more significant than themselves. One of the really interesting findings from recent research in America is that people who are prone to generating a lot of low mood and even clinical depression typically use the personal pronoun I much more than people who are less susceptible. And that suggests that they're actually working at the ego level far too much. It's all about them. And I remember when I was a pastoral tutor at Southampton University working with a lot of students at the start of lockdown and the students contacted me saying well I'm unhappy I'm lonely I'm fed up I'm miserable because of lockdown and I can't see my friends and it was all about them but actually when you can say well actually let's just think think about the public health agenda here and the contribution you're making to keeping other people safe and think about we and us then actually what tended to happen is their mood improved because they recognised they were connected up to something much more significant than the fact that they were missing their friends. So, I think it, it is for me very important that as coaches we think about those five levels and we don't just fixate on
0: any one of them. Lots of the things that you've taught in the past taught me in the past that came in there, like locus of control, was, was flipping into my head there as well. Because yeah, you know that absolutely. that's certainly that's not the matter stage. It's not in the spirit stage. I don't think I'm going to plump and put it in that mind phase right, around Yeah, there.
1: absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And, and and it's useful to have that formulation, mm. because then you could start you, actually slotting other coaching tools within those different levels, as well as acknowledging, acknowledging which I think is in, increasingly important, kind of the politics of coaching. That is, you know, we, there is, I think, something to think about in terms of locating people's challenges at the level of the individual. And it's not always mm. the most helpful.
0: approach. Well, and can help people decide what to pull out their backpack yeah, absolutely <laughs> good okay so what else are we putting in the backpack so the additional item that i thought about
1: a flask of coffee and um, i just think that's my luxury i think probably and a never emptying flask of coffee would be the luxury item i'd take on my desert island if i was on desert
0: island Discs. and how much of a coffee snob are you this is the question are you, is it any kind of coffee or oh, uh... no
1: not at all uh, well I, yeah it wouldn't be the kind of little basic but i think you know i'm quite happy with a decent instant if i'm honest I don't know if you know but some years ago I had a heart problem and I gave up caffeine completely and I really missed it and then when that my heart was fixed I was able to go back to it I really started enjoying it again so um it's not something I drink throughout the day but I start the day with coffee and uh, yeah I it's one of my uh
0: one of my guilty pleasures all right I have I'm also gone the decaf way it was it was too much uh, and you can get some decent, get some decent decaf now. There is hope for people out there who don't drink caffeine. Well, it's
1: interesting. I, I I do suspect a large part of the buzz it gives people is placebo anyway. Because when I had my heart problem, I also had to give up alcohol, which wasn't a big struggle. But I started occasionally having alcohol-free beer and finding it was making me feel tipsy because I just think that was the association I had with the taste of beer. So.
0: And maybe the driving also got worse as you had. <laughs> yes, Okay. Cool. Well, there's this. Yeah, you can have a never-ending flask of coffee. So I believe you've just got the one choice left of who's coming with you, and they don't have to fit in the backpack, by the way.
1: <laughs> no. Well, I did think about it, and actually, I, I would take my dad. Um, so um, sad, I lost my dad just before lockdown, um, but kind of lost him before that because he, he spent the last few of his few years of his life uh, very much in the grip of dementia, and I don't think he ever really understood what I did. I'm not sure I ever sat him down and talked. Well, I don't think we really talked about it enough um, until it was too late, really. And so I would I would love to take him along, partly so that he could actually understand what I did for, for a living, but also because he was a great source of of quotes and sayings. And I still find myself now going back to them. And one of the things that I find most useful was one of his favorite sayings, which is there are very few things in this life that are both easy and worth doing. And I think, you know, whenever, whenever if you feel that life is tough and that life's challenging, it's really useful to go back to that. For me, anyway, you know, um, I've never run a marathon, but both of my sons have. And I guess what makes it worthwhile is it's so tough, you know, and I'm sure people who climb mountains would say the same thing. It was easy. It wouldn't be rewarding. And so I think sometimes, particularly in the context of the pandemic and the challenges that lots of people are facing, it's really important to remind ourselves that stuff being difficult adds meaning it doesn't take it away. And for me that you know that, that's quite a helpful thing. so Dad was a great source of these and I, if I didn't know what to say, then I would look to him and, and he'd have an idea
0: yeah. what age are you imagining him being when you take him with you?
1: That's a, that's a great question. I would say just before dementia started showing so I think you know he, he accumulated a lot of wisdom and then just bit by bit it dropped away and just at the point before that kicked him, that would be where I would really like to have understood a bit more about what I do, but also have just teased out a few more of those sayings as well. Mm.
0: I think the the time that I would not take my dad was when he had a really dodgy moustache. That would be the one time. (laughs) 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 Any time apart Uh, from that time in the 80s. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, your backpack is now packed. Now, sometimes we get help packing our backpack. Maybe one of your sons had helped you pack this backpack and things sneak in there that we don't want in there. So if there was one thing you'd wanna make sure is not in that backpack, what would it be? Yeah,
1: again, it's quite an abstract thing. I hope that's okay. And I, the best thing I can come up with was assumptions. Um, one of the concepts I find really helpful is a concept from Buddhism of, about the beginner's mind, about actually approaching each new situation as if it was the first time you'd approach that situation. And it's such a tough thing to do, but I think if the, to the extent that I can leave assumptions out in my backpack, I'll do a better job. And it kind of fits with my notion that we actually always look at the world through lenses. You know, we, we become uh, unaware that we're wearing them. In, in a very simple way that if I look out of the window, I can see what I think is a tree. And it's obvious to me it's a tree because I look at it through Western lenses. But if I had been raised in a culture that didn't distinguish bark-covered plants from other plants, I'd look out and see a plant. For me, it's obviously a tree, but it isn't. It just is what it is. And I see it as a tree because these are the lenses I wear. And I think we can bring these assumptions into the coaching relationship completely unawarely and make all sorts of judgments and decisions based on that. And I think to the extent that we can leave those behind is the extent that we become better coaches,
0: really. So the awareness of an interpretivist mindset...
1: Yeah, and also just recognising that our values, you know, both service and getting and and become stumbling blocks. I mean, I I had a case recently, I was coaching someone, you're probably aware that the exercise I do around the life script and thinking about your life as an autobiography and think about the final chapter as a final chapter that you really want to arrive at. And then you can then make the decisions and the choices that head you towards that final chapter that you want to arrive at rather than the one you're currently heading to, if that's not one that you'd like to arrive at. The guy that I was working with said, well, you know, I've thought about this a lot, this exercise, the final chapter I want to arrive at, and there's no final chapter I want to arrive at in which I stay married to my wife. And this was a guy with a wife and three young children. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. You know, I don't want to break up your family. <laughs> <This> is... <laughs> but of course, these are my values, which are that families matter and that families are the centre of everything. And so sometimes, you know, we just need to be mindful of the fact that you know, we don't have that beginner's mind. and We just need to be mindful of not imposing our values on other people.
0: It's tough to achieve,
1: mm. but it's, I think it's a goal. Yeah.
0: Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, I've got one final question for you, which is mm. where do you hope you are or are not going on this fictional gig?
1: Yeah, so again, I gave this a bit of thought, and I, my ideal will be 10 Downing Street. I want to go and work with Boris. It's not because I think he's inherently a bad person, but I think he's clearly floundering and he needs all the help he can get. And I think really he is someone who would really gain from some reflection around the difference between sort of I thinking, you know, thinking about himself and thinking in terms of we and us. You know, I talked about that that research it shows that people who are mentally healthy and resilient tend to talk about we and us much more than about I and I think he, you know he's so wedded to his tribe well this is how it seems to me of kind of ex-public school tourists that he will do anything that's in their interests and kind of feels that somehow that's you know that's his, his biggest loyalty is owed to that tribe you know if you think of just the way that he's supported Owen Patterson and actually that really wasn't very justified and His proposed changes to the care system, which are going to allow very wealthy people to hold on to their estates, whereas much less privileged people are going to lose everything. You know, this is something which only somebody with that kind of tribalism could could advocate. And I think, again, I'm not saying he's a bad person by any means, but I I think a bit of coaching around changing perspectives, perhaps changing lenses, would not just serve him well, but would serve all of us well. Mm,
0: I'd be interested to know where his locus of control sits.
1: Yes, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because you know I've got an interest in imposter syndrome, which is something, again, I talk about a fair bit. And the reverse of imposter syndrome is entitlement syndrome. Mm. And people like him just have that. They have this kind of assumption that they have, they were born to lead, they have a right to lead, a right to make decisions based on very often their own personal self-interest and all of those kind of reservations that people with imposter syndrome have, he just doesn't seem to have. And mm-hmm. ironically, he could do with one or two of them.
0: <laughs> well, we can do a quick interview for this, uh, John, uh, based on the what came out this week. Uh, I know this is a few weeks going to be before the podcast episode goes out. But um, have you ever been to Pepper Pig World? Surely that's the question,
1: right? <laughs> no, but I might well do now that I've got a granddaughter. So that's probably and it's not far from where I live. So that's yeah that's uh, that's a very distinct possibility
0: <laughs> well look this has been brilliant talking to you i've thoroughly enjoyed it if people would like to know more about john perry where can they go
1: well i am on linkedin so by all means you can um, find me on linkedin and i think it just says john perry well-being consultant because that's kind of the direction that i'm heading in now and yeah by all means it'd be great for people to make contact but equally uh, i'm kind of in in transition, moving towards a state of semi-retirement. So, if people choose not to look me up, that's
0: fine as well. Well, and if people are lucky enough, they can find sessions such as the one I came to recently on stress and the human givens. So, uh, keep your eyes. Yes, absolutely. There. Yeah. In fact, my
1: next one for the Barefoot is on coaching on life's big questions,
0: where I'll, amongst other people, be talking about Wilbur's approach. Ah, and when is that? Uh, that is in January. Okay. Well, I'll make sure this episode gets out before January. <laughs> Great. Well, well, thank you very much again, John Perry, for coming on The Coach's Backpack. My pleasure, David. Good to see you. And thank you for joining us on this episode of The Coach's Backpack. If you would like extra goodies such as free tools, offers, further info about our guests, and maybe even the odd peek inside their actual backpack, sign up to our mailing list at thecoachesbackpack.com. And don't forget to follow the podcast too. See you next time.